0: Well, good morning, would you stand with us as we worship together? I love that song so much because it talks about how um, powerful praise is and how that's our weapon against the enemy and that's what Christ calls us to do. And I think it's so hard to find worship songs even that only talk about praising Christ because often we make worship about ourselves. We make it about what we can get out of it or what God can say to us, but that's not what worship exists for. It is a space for us to bring praise to Christ because he's so worthy of it. And oftentimes those other things are a byproduct of that worship, but worship and praise is our sacrifice to Christ because of all he did for us and all that who he is. So as we sing this morning, let's reflect on that. Son, for us on the cross, God. Let me never lose sight of how badly you deserve our praise, God. We love you so much, and in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Please be seated. It's great to see you this morning. As we get started, hey, Kevin, would you do me a favor? Would you bring up the podium? Appreciate it. As we start, just a couple announcements. First of all, we were going to have a ministry fair today, ministries in the church, we're going to be in the back, and we decided to postpone it for several reasons. Um, thank you, perfect, appreciate that. We decided to postpone it for several reasons, but we're going to hold it in three weeks, on the 21st of February. So next week is the stupid bowl, then after that is the, is, um, the all-church meeting on the 14th, and then we'll do the ministry fair. So it gives us more time to, to do it well. Then the other thing is the 14th is our all church meeting. One hour after church, it's important to have these, we have these meetings once or twice a year, they're important, so please put it on your schedule to, if you're at this service, to come back at 1230 or come to the 11 o'clock service and just stay. Okay, you with me on that? And and so with that, I, I wanna jump in. I think there was one more thing I was supposed to announce and it might come to my mind, it might not. You've been there. I'm there every week. So, so Father, just guide us this morning in Your Word, and we love You, and um, we have so much to be thankful for. Just open our eyes to all that You have blessed us with, and gratitude can flow from us, Father. So we love You and thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to start the book. We're going to go back to the book of Romans next Sunday. Today is the last message in this idea of a course correction for 2021. And we have talked about different things that, that were important to me for course correction. You know, the, the role of the Word of God, the role of, of community, the role of, the, um, of prayer in our lives. The things we might believe that, are, that mislead us, that misguide us. Today we're going to do the one that everyone expects a pastor to do in January. Do you know that every January is almost... Without fail, pastors preach on giving. Oh, you guys look excited. <laughs> so I'm gonna preach on generosity today and the lies we might believe about generosity. But let's review where we've been. I've been talking about from the book of Romans, and for a while, uh, the idea that salvation is a relationship. That it isn't just, it isn't just God gives you something, He becomes something to you. He becomes your father. You become his child. There's a relationship. It's also a journey as you walk through this life. And that journey is the idea of in this relationship as a child of God, he is now forming Christ in you. And so every day, week, month, year that goes by, God is working in my life through hard times, through easy times, through all circumstances, through you, through people in the community, turning me to be more like Jesus, making you more like Jesus. So it's a relationship. It's a journey of becoming like Jesus. Scripture, the Spirit is in us. God has given us a scripture. The Spirit Spirit guides us in the scriptures to know who he is, what he wants from us. And we live in community. We serve one another. All of this, we looked at two weeks ago from 2 Corinthians, where Paul says that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we make it our goal, whether we're in the flesh, living here in our bodies, or in heaven, we make it our goal to please him in all we do. So there's the big picture we've been talking about for the last month. In light of this, today I want to talk about the joy of generosity, the joy of generosity. But to do that, we have to address some lies we might believe about what it means to be generous. To start off, though, we have to set a foundational truth, and this is very important, so you've got, you got to get this foundational truth. The foundational truth is this. All that I have comes from the hand of God. Amen. Scriptures make it very clear. He owns everything. To a certain degree, you and I are stewards. But whatever you call good in your life comes from the hand of God. Let me read to you James, chapter 1, 16 through 18. James tells us, says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will. Let's stop there. Do you understand the picture there? When the sun moves across the sky, what happens to your shadow? As the sun moves across the sky, your shadow shifts. So James is using that imagery to say, God does not move. He's the source of everything good in your life, and he doesn't move. So there is no shifting shadows with God. There, there's certainty in everything. So he's using a metaphor we all understand and changing it to so the sun doesn't move with God. And 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 so we can move on with that. But then verse 18: of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now that verse can be mined deeply, but of his will, he made you his child. It was his choice, not yours. You didn't come to him, he came to you. And he did it to make you the firstfruits of all creatures, of all creation, you and I, in some ways, serve as firstfruits of what it means to be a follower of God. So, so with that foundation, all I have comes from the hand of God, you with me? Yeah. But with that, let's look at some lies we might believe. The first lie, number one. I don't have enough to be generous. I don't have enough. Truth, generosity is not defined by how much you give, but by how much you have left over. So I wanna look here right now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. So turn there, but I meant to do something else first. Everyone in this room, if you call Jesus Christ, your Lord and savior, if you've come into a relationship with him, you under, have an understanding of who you are before him. You have an understanding now, if you didn't before, that every good, good thing in your life comes from him, and he's calling you to be generous. So I don't care what stage you are in your life, if, you are, if you're at the end of your life, or if you're just beginning your life as a teenager, obviously you had a life before that, but often teenagers have all of a sudden have their own money. Every one of us who have some level of control over our money are called to be generous. So this applies to all of us. So the first lie, I don't have enough to be generous. The truth, generosity is not defined by how much you give, but how much you have left over. So Mark chapter 12, a great story. You guys know it. If you've been reading through Mark with me, you just read this last week. This is Jesus sitting in the temple, and he's watching the people come through, probably in the line, as they drop their offering in the box. All right? And and so let's look at what he says here. verse twelve, Chapter 12, verse 41. And he sat down, this Jesus sat down, opposite the treasury, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. Now, I looked that word up, and if you have a study Bible, it might be at the bottom of the page in a footnote. The amount of money she gave was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. So a day's wage for a laborer, what she put in was one sixty-fourth of that. So, so let's, say, let's say you're a laborer, you make $100 a day. She put in today $1.50. All right, so now look what Jesus says about that. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing in the offering box. That's quite a statement. For they contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on." So Jesus is praising her, not for the amount she put in, but the fact that she put in all she had. In in his mind, it appears, this is the most generous woman in the place. Because it's not defined by how much she put in, but how much is left over. So we need to think about that for ourselves, and we're giving. And, And I guarantee you, I don't guarantee it, if I'm any indication of how you give, it's certainly more out of my abundance than out of my need. That do we look at our giving and say, you know, I have this bill, that bill, I wanna go on this vacation, I wanna go do this, do that, what's left over? Okay, that's what I'm gonna give. As opposed to the concept of what's called first fruits giving. First fruits is the idea of I have a regular income or whatever, however you get paid, whether you're on commission and your income's like this, however it is, it's, you know, I have a regular income, to the penny, every two weeks, every twice a month actually. And so it's easy for me to look at it and say, I'm going to give X amount. Teresa and I look at that. I'm going to give X amount. We are going to. But first, which is the idea of the first thing I do is say, Lord, I'm giving to you from what you've blessed me with. And hopefully, it's with great joy. And hopefully, it's more than just to this church. I'll talk about that at the end. I believe we have opportunities as givers, as generous people, to bless the Lord and receive incredible joy by giving way beyond our local church. So we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Okay, so in 1999, a couple friends of mine, and and we we started a Bible college in Reno. And a couple years in, we we had to go from volunteers to someone actually running it. And um, so the idea was I would go half time at Grace Church and half time for the Bible college. I did that for one year, but I had to raise my my half salary. At the time, I was making $48,000 a year. I had to raise $24,000. So I put the word out to some friends. Well, a lady named May, who was a widow in our church, she heard about this. I didn't ask her, but she heard about it. And she contacted me. She said, Tony, I want to give you $60 a month. I said, May, I can't receive that. I can't take that. May, I know that what I make is more than what you make. But you want to give what you make, which is less than me, so that I can live on what I am used to living on. I can't receive this. And you know what she said to me? You have to. God told me to give it to you. <laughs> and so here, so here was a lady on a fixed income, a widow, much like the lady here, that listened to God. And blessed me and my family mightily. It humbled me unbelievably. that someone who had less than me wanted to make sure I maintained my standard of living. So that's the kind of person that's always in my mind about what it means to be generous. Not the amount that doesn't determine generosity. It's what's left over. Lie number two. God intended all his blessings to be for Me. Truth. God wants you to not only enjoy your blessings, but also to share them. All right? God wants you to not only enjoy your blessings, but also share them. There's a principle that goes all the way back to Abraham. If you know your Bible history, that you know, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, you have the whole early history of, of how sin spread to all the nations, and then God chose one man out of all creation and said, from that one man, I'm going to bring the Savior. But one man, I'm going to bring the, 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 someone out of his lineage to bless the entire world, which we know with, with the New Testament is Jesus Christ. But he also, he said this, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. Okay, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. So from that, I drive a principle I can show you through all of Scripture that God blesses his people. Can someone say amen to that? Because if, if, you, if you say, I'm not blessed, we need to talk later and, and, and count your blessings. But he blessed you to enjoy your blessings and to share them. I'm going to walk you through 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. So if you would turn 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, we're going to look at this. It opens up with these words. Let me get there. Opens up with these words. Come on, where are they heights? 1 Timothy 6. There it is. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. So most of the people in this room just shut down because you wouldn't call yourself the rich of this present age, right? Be honest with me. Okay, I got some yes, some no's. But the whole chapter is about money. This is the chapter that says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And that some longing for wanting more and, and gear their life to getting more of it destroy their faith. So Paul tells Timothy earlier on, in, in, down in verse 11 or 12, he says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Quit pursuing wealth, Timothy. Pursue these things. because dis- dis- If your pursuit in life is wealth, it might destroy your life and faith. So then, then he goes through this phenomenal doxology of who Jesus is in, in um, verses 15 and 16. And then in 17, he comes back to it. He's telling Timothy, teach these people. Let's get there. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Notice that their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He wants you to enjoy what he's given you. And I was I was talking um, um, earlier with someone about a cliche. I wasn't going to use it, but I'm gonna. So if we consider ourselves or we don't consider ourselves rich in this present age, because we live in a community where there are other people that have way more than us, and no matter how much you make, you can point someone out in this community that has more than you. How come we don't? point ourselves to people who live in different communities that have almost nothing and say, yeah, I'm, I'm mightily blessed. To much of the world I'm rich. So, with that in mind, this is talking to each one of us. Why has God given it to you? He wants you to enjoy it. Are you enjoying it? Yes. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Meaning your money isn't what brings you life. You know, I'd like to test that theory. God, give me more and let me test that theory. But what's truly life is this relationship with the living God. And he has blessed you and says, I want you to enjoy it but I also want you to share it with other people. So here's my question to us. How do we know how much to enjoy and how much to share? And this is something for some of you who may be just starting your Christian walk. Boy, grab a hold of this now and start a a discipline, a habit in your life to have this filter in your head. God has blessed me and he wants me to enjoy it, but he wants me to share it. How much am I going to share? How much am I going to enjoy? If we don't do that, our sharing will simply be what's left over. Because I'm going to enjoy what God's given me. That's almost a default thing for me. I'm, you know, I I jokingly call myself a hedonist. Do you guys know what a hedonist is? Someone lives for pleasure. I jokingly call myself a hedonist, but it's not a joke. I like to have fun. Fun costs money. So back in 19... not 19, boy, dates, 2008, my father died. I was the executor of his estate. I have, I have um, six siblings, five, five brothers and sisters who were heirs. I had to distribute it all, you know, through the whole process of probate and all that. In the state of Nevada, the executor gets a certain percentage of the whole estate for doing all the work of being the executor. I got an extra $10,000 that my siblings didn't get. And I was going to actually share it with them. I I felt like that's not fair. I'll share it with them. My brother-in-law, who's married to my oldest sister, he said, Tony, don't do that. Your brothers and sisters are going to squander it. I hope they're not listening. (laughs) He said, he's Italian. And he knows my wife, Teresa, is a first-generation Italian. He said, take your wife to Italy. I said, ooh, that's a great way to enjoy God's blessing. But it kind of hit me. Is this the best use of God's blessings? If I'm going to spend 10,000 more dollars, actually turned out to be 14,000, to go to Italy for three weeks, is that the right way to enjoy my blessing? Should I not then also... Take $14,000 of my inheritance and share it also? So it's a principle that I grabbed then, and I put to you as a principle to think about. It's not not straight from the New Testament. There is a New Testament principle that says, God bless you, enjoy it. God bless you, share it. What percentage you do? But, and we do this loosely. I'm not going to say we sit down and look at our checkbook every year. But we try to share more than we enjoy and by enjoy i mean your entertainment your travel your fun your eating out all the things in life that that are beyond your needs a principle i want to share more than i enjoy so i give you that principle to think through as you look at your money ask yourself the question i'm in relationship with god he has given me his spirit The goal of the relationship with God and his spirit in me and the word of God he's given me is to conform me to the image of his son. His son is amazingly generous. His son is the one who said I did not come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I'm becoming like Jesus. That's what God is working in me. So part of Christ's character is generosity. Part of Christ's character is sacrificial giving. So should I not be moving towards that end too? Not as a burden, not as a duty, but it's joy at becoming like my savior. So I just put that before you to give thought to this year, 2021, how much are you enjoying and how much are you sharing? Third lie, I'm fearful I won't have enough if I'm generous. Now, when it comes to lies, this one I believed for years. This one held me to where my giving was very sporadic and minimal. I'm fearful that I won't have enough if I'm generous. Here's the truth. God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Would you notice on the screen how NEEDS is formatted? All caps. What exactly are our needs? I wanna walk you through Philippians 4. 10 to 20, this is the longest section of scripture we're gonna read this morning, but it's very important that you stay with me because we'll pull this verse out. In fact, let's go there. Philippians four, one second. Put a paper mark in there and I blocked it. Philippians four, we're gonna jump, I think, um, let's drop down to verse 19. And Paul says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many times have you seen that on a poster? How many times have you quoted it? It's a memory verse, you kind of pull out of chapter four, and you say, God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And how how many riches are in Christ Jesus, by the way? The endless. The Old Testament imagery is God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot of cattle. And when you're in an agrarian society, that is super wealthy. That's all what God owns. So he'll supply your needs out of everything he has. If he owns everything, that's a big bank account. But in this context, what are needs? I wanna read to you 10 to 20, walk through it, but I want you to, in your mind, go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul was a missionary. Paul was what's called a tent maker. Have you ever heard that expression for missionaries? A tent maker is someone who goes on the mission field but doesn't depend upon people giving to them. They actually get a job and earn a living and do missions on the side. So it's become a, a metaphor for someone a missionary that's out in the field that actually works for a living and ministers on the side. So Paul was actually a true tent maker. He made tents for a living. And he he was in Corinth, and he refused to take any money from the Corinthians because he already had a strange relationship with them to where he didn't want them accusing him of preaching the gospel simply to get money. So he made tents. But the Philippians, who was the church he visited a couple months before, sent him money. And as you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9... You'll see, that you find out these Philippians actually gave not out of their excess. They put themselves in need to make sure Paul had what he needed. And he praises them for it. He's telling the Philippians, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. That's the biblical principle. Give according to what you have. Look at your income and give based on that. Don't, you're not required to give beyond that. But the Philippians voluntarily gave beyond their means and put themselves in need so that Paul could have the basics that he needed to preach the gospel all day and not have to work. That's the context of what Paul is saying here. So with that in mind, Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Remember, Paul's in jail. Paul's in jail. He sent a young man. The Philippians have sent a young man named Epaphroditus to Paul and to bring him a gift. So we don't know if Paul was in jail in Rome or in Caesarea. I think he was in Rome. So they sent a gift a long ways. I have learned whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Another verse we pull out. What's the all things here? The context of I can do all things is I can do all things when I'm hungry or when I'm full. When I have no money, when I have a lot of money. Because God is going to empower me to do what he calls me to do. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. So think of Philippi, think of Macedonia as the county and Philippi as the city. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul went from Philippi to Thessalonica, down to Athens, down to Corinth. Okay, that, that's the, the geography. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul knows in their sacrificial givings, they got some other kind of credit. was it wasn't monetary necessarily, but it had to do somehow with becoming like Jesus Christ. I lost my place. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you get that imagery there? That's an Old Testament imagery. The imagery of sacrificing animals, and the idea there of an atonement being paid was a pleasing aroma to God. To us, the idea of burning flesh is not pleasing. So, and so we don't want to see God as some animal here or some, some weirdo, but the imagery of atonement is pleasing to God when our sins are forgiven. So that's the imagery of, the, of, the, of the, the sacrifice of the aroma rising to God. When the Philippians were generous, gave beyond their means to help Paul out, God is going, wow, they're amazing. They truly are becoming like my son Jesus. Now, verse 19, and my su- God will supply your every, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. In the midst of that context of sacrificial giving, of giving beyond my abilities to give, I'll do without so you can have something. That's the promise, God will supply all your needs. That's why I put the word needs in capitals. I forget, again, I had some conversations beforehand. I forget who I told people this to. I remember back 25 years ago, when my son's, middle son's 36, when he was 14, we bought, no, he was 11, we bought our first ATV. And I probably bought six or seven more ATVs over the next 10 years, trade them in, but I always do loans. And I remember one time I got a $200 a month raise. Well, guess what I did? I had a new need. I had a new need of a bigger ATV. So I went out and got a loan for $180 a month. $20 less than my raise. I had extra. That was my new need. Oh, God, I need you to cover my needs now. See, God didn't promise to cover all our choices when our choices weren't, didn't have wisdom to them, when our choices may be self-centered. But he did promise to cover all our needs when we choose to be sacrificial and giving. I had a fear God wouldn't cover my needs. I became a Christian in 1979. I didn't learn how to be a regular giver for 13, 14 years. I got married young, had kids immediately. Uh, early in my, in my um, life, in my mid late 20s, I went away to Bible college. We had a family, living on nothing, going to school for six years straight. Was, a, was not a generous and was not a regular giver because I, I don't have enough. Will God really cover me? If I am generous, can I pay my rent? Which by the way was $250 a month was all it was. And it was very hard for me. I had a lot of guilt over it. I had some shame over it. Um, But the fear controlled me more than the desire to do what I know God was asking me to do, and that was trust him. Learn how to be regular in my giving, learn how to be faithful in my giving, how to be generous, and trust him to meet your needs. You guys know the phrase, I will never leave you or forsake you? It's a promise from God, isn't it? If you go to the Old Testament, it's said about five times to individuals in Israel, and I think one or twice, is to the whole nation. But like it said to Joshua in early chapters of Joshua, God is calling Joshua to the impossible. Joshua, I want you to take the people into the promised land. Moses is dead, it's on you now. Take him into the promised land. And Joshua, be strong and courageous. I am with you, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we tend to use the verse from an Old Testament context that God is with us in all things. And as far as the salvation goes, he'll never leave me or forsake me. Do you know the phrase, I'll never leave you, forsake you, is only mentioned once in the New Testament? Once in Hebrews chapter 13? If you have a Bible open there? I'll let you get there. If it's on your phone, iPad, whatever, I want you to highlight it. Hebrews 13, 5. The context of God never leaving or forsaking us in the New Testament, the only time it occurs, is in the context of money. Hebrews thirteen five, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. But God, I need more. But God, what if I don't have enough? But God, will you really take care of me? What does he say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear, what can man do to me? So if you're like me, and today you've been walking with God a while, th- th- there's this expression that, you know, there's two conversions in your life. There's a conversion of your heart to Jesus, and sometime later, a conversion of your checkbook to Jesus. I want to encourage you, if it's fear that's stopping you, this is your verse. God will never leave you or forsake you. Make sure our motive is to honor him with what we have, not simply to get more from him. And he'll take care of all your needs, because God is faithful. So what do we have to lose to be generous? If we're generous, what do we have to lose? Help me out. What do we have to lose if we're going to be generous? You do, money. You'd have less money if you're generous. But it's the wrong question to ask. If we ask the question, what am I going to do without, what should be, what do I have to gain if I'm going to be generous? What do I have to gain, first of all, is incredible joy. And, and you, have to, have to, you, have to, you have to step into this to experience it. When you can help someone else, When you can help someone else that doesn't have something that you have and you watch their eyes light up or you watch tears come in their eyes because they can't believe someone was generous to them. The joy is amazing. We saw from 2 Corinthians 5 that says we we strive to do what is pleasing to the Lord. You can put joy on the face of God by generosity. What you have to gain, and according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, even um, uh, Matthew, I think Matthew 6, the concept of if I'm generous here, I'm storing up for myself a treasure there that does not fade, is not eaten by moths, no one can break in and steal. That should drive us more than my ATV, that I really want another one. Hint, hint. Actually, I don't. I don't have anywhere to put it. Before I end, I want to make a comment about tithing. The Old Testament concept of tithing. Tithing means tenth, by the way. And the concept that I will give 10% of my income to the Lord is something that comes from the Old Testament. The New Testament hardly talks about it. Um, Jesus uses that illustration of the Pharisees' hypocrisy, the Pharisees' legalism in their tithing. But the New Testament doesn't, doesn't call, talk at all as a principle for the church. So, so, but it's, it's a good thing to start with. We said, well, I'll give 10% of my income, but that's what Israel did. Well, I want you to think about something. Do you know Israel gave way more than 10%? Israel had three tithes. Israel had to tithe 10% of their produce, everything they grew and raised, 10% to the Levites. See, God had made 12 tribes in Israel, only 11 of them got land. The 12th one, the Levites, from whom the priests came, they didn't get any land. They were there to serve the temple purposes. So the other 11 tribes had to give 10% of their produce to the Levites to live on. Then you had a 10% tithe to the temple ministry. Cost money to run a temple. So it costs money to run a church. Then every three years, you gave 10% a tithe to the poor, which was given to the priests, and they distributed it to the poor for three years. So every three years, you gave three tithes. Twice a year, 10% to different categories, and every third year, uh, another 10% to the poor. So over that, that's 20-something percent over three years. So the concept of I'm just going to give 10% and done my duty is missing the point of the Old Testament tithe. Here's what I want to suggest to you, though. Let's get away from 10%. 10% can become a trap. It's not a New Testament principle or command. It can become a trap to where it can build self-confidence or self-righteousness. Well, I give 10%. How much do you give? When in fact, for some of us, 10%, this is true for Teresa and I, so so I'm not saying it's just to the really wealthy in the room. Some of us, 10% is our excess. We should automatically be considering way more than that. But some of you, because of your circumstances in life, because of whether it's hard times have hit during this COVID, unemployment, losing your business, two percent is all you can manage right now. Do it with joy and seek to build. But skip the ten percent. When you get to nine, jump to eleven. Because that 10% becomes this trap, this rut you get in that's, well, I'm done enough. Well, if God's blessed you way beyond that, then, then step into that blessing and bless others. To make sense? So now, I'm going to relieve you of something. It's not about giving to the church. This church costs money. I, I hope you're faithful givers to this church. But if you somehow think I'm doing this to get you to give more to this church, then I, I say here give it somewhere else. Give it to a missionary. Paul called the Philippians his partners. the word is quinonos. We get our word koinonia from it, fellowship. So, so koinonia is a feminine word, Koinonos is a masculine word. It, it's, it's gender in Greek words. It's, it refers to a person who's your partner. Philippians were Paul's partner to accomplish the gospel. Who, who out there depends upon you as their partner? Choose to pick a missionary whether from this church or some other ministry, and say they can depend on me every month to help them out. Find a place who feeds the poor. There's some in our own community and become partners with them to feed the poor. If you think the church is manipulative, then don't give it to us, give it somewhere else, but learn to be generous. All right, do we wanna be a conduit of God's blessings to others? So I ask you this. This is what I'll just close on. i reiterate what I just said. Pray to God, say, God, show me someone, organization, a ministry of some kind, even my church, that I can become their partner and learn to do without something I love so they can have something they need. Try that and watch what God does in your heart. Ever heard Randy Alcorn? a little book called The Treasure Principle. It's brilliant. Two hours reading, max. It will, if you read it, it has a potential. Listen to what John Piper, his review. Supercharged with stunning divine truth. Lightning struck over and over as I read it. About money and giving. So if you're a reader... Cost $7 for your Kindle. Grab it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings in our lives, which are abundance. Help us to see them. Help us to see truly how blessed we are beyond our basic needs of clothing and food in a house. And then open our eyes to opportunities to give, Father, and learn to do it with joy, not a burden. You, you, Jesus, you said that you love a cheerful giver. We wanna be the kind of people who are excited to give, not fearful not as a burden. So root these lies out of us and replace them with truths, Father, your truths, so we can truly become like your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.
0: Would you stand with us as we continue to worship?
1: We're going to resing the first song we sang, and there's the word faith in there that occurs over and over. I believe a synonym for the word faith is the word trust. So as the word faith comes up, I don't know if it rhymes or whatever, but replace it with trust, and not just trust for him to forgive you, but trust for him to take care of every need you have as we sing this song, and that a worship and praise of Jesus is not just from our lips, it's from everything we do in life. So Elena, lead us again in that song.
2: This is what I-